0: Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1 and through to 30, page 818 in the Church Bibles. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. "'Are you so dull?' he asked. "'Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? "'For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body.' Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, how do we pick a good host from a bad host? How do we pick a good one from a bad one? Well, that's kind of easy, isn't it? I mean, really, we read the signs, of course. Uh, Consider any one of our McDonald's restaurants. Walk into Macca's, and it's quite obvious straight away whether they want you there or not, isn't it? I mean, the service, the cleanliness, the quality of food, it's all quite obvious, Now, since moving here to the northern Illawarra, I've heard it said that the hospitality of one of our local Maccas is such that they really don't seem to want you there at all. Now, surely, surely their most recent renovations uh, is a sign of something good? Maybe? (laughs) Maybe. But it's hard to tell by just looking at the outside, isn't it? It's quite hard to tell, and especially when one Maccas looks identical to the next Maccas and they all look the same. Now, looking at the outside and they all look the same, that might be judgment call enough for you. You might know enough information already to make a call. But what if they were different? What if they were different on the inside? Because sometimes they are. You see, not long ago, one of our local Illawarra Maccas won the award for the best McDonald's in the Southern Hemisphere. Just get the Southern Hemisphere around your mind for a moment. The best one of them all. Uh, they are in the papers. Executives travelled from the US just to see what on earth this Illawarra Maccas was up to, what they were doing and how they were doing this. And, well, they were serving food on plates with knives and forks. And they even hosted a wedding. The very first wedding at McDonald's was in in Australia. It was in the Illawarra. Go figure, right? These guys were seriously good. But how could anybody know? How could they know? Oh, that's easy. Just read the signs. But their external signs were identical to our local one. So how could we pick the good from the bad? Now, it's just a Macca's restaurant, and really our food choices at this point don't really matter in the larger scheme of eternity. Read the signs however we like, and well, not a whole lot hangs in the balance. But not so when it comes to what we think about the Lord Jesus. How we read the signs about Jesus really does matter. How we read the signs about Him, well, that matters eternally. And from the outside of today's reading... Well, you may struggle to be impressed with Jesus at all. I mean, can you imagine being in charge of Jesus' public profile and this reading being the reading that's his public profile? I mean, can you imagine the, the headlines in our papers and such if he was running for public office? You know, Jesus offends our nation's leaders. That's a good start. Uh, yep. hypocrites, blind guides, dullards and dogs, Jesus spares no one. Or perhaps... No kindness, no gentleness, and no respect. Jesus fails his own religion. Come across like that so easy, wouldn't it, from this passage? But, but what if we are reading the signs wrong? What if our judgment, or rather our judgmental personal history, is colouring our vision? What if our blinkered self-righteousness and prejudice is actually what's determining what we see well there's only one way to know for sure isn't there and that's if we go inside and we spend some time to look at precisely what's here so let's do that i invite you to do that with me tonight let's look closely at this and see if what we're seeing is the right thing to see and let's ask god's help as we do Will you pray with me our oh, father we long to see jesus And would you please open our eyes and clear our minds of all that hinders us so that we might. We want to see the mercy of the King, your Son, our Lord Jesus. But we struggle so much because there's so much in front of our heads, our minds, our history that makes that difficult. Would you please help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll keep those bibles open there page 818 we're going to follow that passage through mark chapter 7 you'll find an outline uh, printed for you there in the bulletin we're following on along with that and we've well we've come into mark chapter 7 we've entered in partway along mark's gospel and we've also entered into this episode in the middle of jesus on the hunt for a quiet place of rest for his disciples that's actually what's going on here they had just come off, if we go back to chapter 6, they've just come off a heavy mission exercise recorded for us there. And ever since their return to Jesus, well, they've been followed and hounded by crowds of people wanting something from Jesus at every single turn. And he's performed countless amazing miracles in every place and the people just keep on coming. And that's, well, that's kind of good, isn't it? If we're running a popularity contest and for us who... You know, think popularity is a thing, you know, we're collecting likes, we're building a profile, a following, we're claiming majority opinion. Good stuff, everyone's listening. We'd like that, wouldn't we? But it's not actually a popularity contest that Jesus is seeking to win. And at this point, what he's actually looking to do is to give his disciples a rest. And more than that, he has a bigger plan going on as well doesn't he a bigger plan than just the temporary things that we want from him as people and it's working to that plan which puts Jesus at odds with people we want something from us but he from him but he gives us something different do you remember his plan that bigger wider plan we heard about it earlier in Mark's Gospel. We've been looking at this for some time together. If you turn back to chapter 1 of Mark's account, we find there when Jesus went public after the arrest of John the Baptist, Jesus announced his plan. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the plan, that's the news. And it was good news for everyone who heard it because it was accompanied by all kinds of amazing miracles as Jesus systematically emptied the hospitals and all the madhouses of everyone afflicted by any kind of demon or disease. They all came to him and were healed. And news about him spread all throughout Israel and beyond Israel to the nations that surround them. And people kept coming in to gather to get something from him. But short-term health and comfort, well, yes, he was dealing that out, but it was barely step one in what Jesus was planning and what was on the agenda for him, because we're told there he came to teach them about the kingdom of God. That's actually the big priority. That's what he's gathering so that he can tell them. His desire is for, well, all those who trust him to receive health and comfort yes but not temporarily for eternity for eternity in the kingdom of god not just another few years and this is why he wasn't trying to win friends and influence people no he wanted them to repent and believe to change their lives from the way they thought about themselves and believe the truth about themselves instead the truth that we need his mercy to be saved from ourselves, to be saved from our prejudice, to be saved from our self righteous judgmentalism that will keeps us locked up inside ourselves until we die. Now, Jesus is a radical, all right. He's come to set people free, but it's a radical mercy that he's offering. As offering to anyone who will humble themselves to receive it but will anyone humble themselves to receive his mercy we've been watching for a few chapters we keep watching will they and the bigger question for us of course is will we humble ourselves to receive his mercy well let's see what happens there So in our passage here, Mark immediately shows us these Pharisees, these teachers of the law who've come from Jerusalem, who gather around Jesus in 7 verse 1. So having heard about Jesus by now, we're a few chapters in, these guys are the experts sent by the authorities in Jerusalem and they were sent to check out whether Jesus was the real deal. And it doesn't take long for them to work it out, does it? To come to a decision. They look at Jesus and they look at how he's taught his disciples to eat. And they immediately find a problem because his disciples are not keeping uh, the centuries old Jewish cleaning traditions. Traditions that set the Jews apart from all the surrounding nations. Traditions that told them, well, told the Jews who was in and, and who was out, who is kosher and who isn't. That's what those traditions were all about. Traditions that set up difference and therefore gave power to prejudice. But did you notice, as that was unpacked and read for us by Nick earlier, it wasn't God's law in the Old Testament that the disciples were actually breaking here. No, it was these things that had been added, these Jewish traditional religious practices. That's what was pinging the radar. And that was enough for these inspectors to get their judgmental little heresy alarm bells ringing like crazy and ringing loudly. And so on this basis, they decide that Jesus must be dodgy because check out his followers. If his followers are dodgy and he's not correcting them, then he must be dodgy. However, Jesus refuses to accept their assessment, doesn't he? Nor will he stand by and allow anyone to be deceived by these judgmental categories. Friends, Jesus won't endorse self-righteous people and their invented religions. we learn anything from the Gospels, notice this, notice this big time. Jesus won't endorse self-righteous people and their invented religions because they keep people from coming to God. They keep people away from God. And so he, well publicly nails them here with this charge of hypocrisy that comes straight from their own Old Testament prophet Isaiah, written some 800 years earlier. Isaiah, well, Jesus quoting Isaiah, he replied, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As he wrote, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he was right, right about them, but right about this in general. Anyone who's claiming to follow God, but actually following a religion of our own invention, oh yeah, I follow God, but I do it like this. Well, that's hypocrisy. And these Pharisees and teachers of the law, well, they were paid professionals at it. They made a living out of this. and In fact, they'd led whole cities astray, whole towns astray into things like, well, dishonouring their parents. Approving people, justifying personal selfishness and abandonment of the care of their parents by using this pious, religious, God-following language. It's appalling what was going on in that day what man made religion will do in the name of following god it happened then it happens today and as we'll see later in mark's gospel these guys will they will lead the whole nation astray eventually into hypocrisy with them when they claim to be following god but then refuse to recognize the son of god whom he sent and they will be the ones who lead the call crucify him crucify him Well, for now, Jesus resists them publicly to their faces. That's all he does. But he does more, doesn't he? Sure, he sends them packing, but then verse 14, not wanting to leave anyone in the clutches of such hypocrisy. No, in his mercy, Jesus calls the crowd together and he points out the truth of what the unclean laws in the Old Testament were always pointing to. And then unpacking it even deeper and further for his dull disciples later on, he declares that, yes, uncleanness is a very big deal. It is a big deal. However, it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. Not what goes in. The problem of human uncleanness is the human heart. It starts inside We've got to stop looking at the external signs of skin or race or ability or place or age or gender or health or what we put inside our bodies as evidence of value or purity. Rather, according to God, His Son... It's, it's what comes out of the heart which shows the spiritual cleanness of any given person. And before we get too worked up about the Pharisees and their need of mercy from Jesus, we really should ask, do we need this mercy ourselves? Look again at that list there in verse 21 and 22. Have a look at that. Evil thoughts that emerge from our hearts. What do we got? Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Does that describe anything in your past hour or this day? this week, this month, this year? Well, if so, then you are just as unclean as me. See, before a holy God, none of us are righteous. None of us are righteous, not even one. We're all in need of the mercy of the King, and it's all quite obvious. The moment we slow things down a little bit, actually listen to Jesus clearly. I mean, look at those words for a moment. Now, do we ever do any of those things? Have you? Had, you may not have had any murderous thoughts of late, but how are you going with envy? Envy is tricky at Christmas time. How are the guys' lights down the road compared to your house. Are they better than yours? Yeah that's envy. And if they're not, <laughs> mine's better, that's arrogance. <laughs> Happens so fast, right? So easily. Do you manage to resist greed? Do you ever use your words for slander? Is there malice built up behind? We're so in need of the mercy of our king, aren't we? But it's such a brand new way of thinking. <laughs> such a brand new way of thinking, even for us 2,000 years later. But according to Jesus, hear it, it's been said now, for 2,000 years straight, according to Jesus, our externals and the inputs aren't what make us unclean. It's actually the thoughts that come from our hearts that put us in trouble with God and in need of his mercy. And on the back of this, well, the Pharisees head back to Jerusalem, fuming the crowd. Well, they're left behind and Jesus now grabs his disciples, packs them up and takes them out of Jewish territory to gain that rest that he's been seeking for them for so long. Although, did you notice where he took them? didn't quite take them to a spa for his rest, did he? In fact, no, directly north is where he took them into unclean Gentile territory in the vicinity of Tyre. And in fact, if we read our maps carefully and follow Mark's directions here, in these next two chapters, Jesus will linger in and travel through vast swathes of non-Jewish and mixed Jew-Gentile territory. He's going to take in the vicinities of Tyre and Sidon, the decapolis and villages around Caesarea, Philippi. Now, in modern day terms, what are we talking about? This is like going on a little, a bunch of Jews going on a holiday into Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. Get that in your head of what's going on over there right now. That's what we're talking about. Now it's a journey that takes only two chapters to describe here but it would have taken many months to complete and a Jew today would be risking life and limb to enter any of these territories. They wouldn't go, simply wouldn't go and if they did they certainly wouldn't be there to embrace the locals and help them and nor would they be embraced, nor would the locals come to them for help. Which makes it, therefore, in one sense, the perfect place for the disciples to have a rest. Because no one's going to bother them there, are they? That's where you go on holidays, where nobody knows your name, right? Somewhere completely different. Go there for a rest, but also a rest and to learn. You see, at this, this perfect place that Jesus takes them where no one's going to bother them, well, it's a good place where Jesus can teach them about everything they were really dull about back there at Gennesaret. And in each of these ethnically unclean places that, well, we are all going to get to watch as Jesus interacts there with the local people on the basis of, well, not how they appear, but of what comes out of their hearts. Remember, Jesus cares not for the external signs of uncleanness that the disciples are so hung up on and are so used to judging things by, but will they learn anything from this journey? This restful journey into this territory, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But meanwhile, there's much for us. There's things that we can definitely learn from this. And the first unclean Gentile person we meet on this journey is this, this Greek woman from Syrian Phoenicia who's living in Tyre. And you go, oh, it's just a bunch of words. No, no, this is a flag waving to us people, telling us what the disciples and what everyone will think of this woman. This is an ethnic description announcing her as naturally unclean to the Jews. They will not interact. And therefore, for Jesus' purposes, she is the perfect example of a clean heart in an unclean setting. A clean heart in an unclean setting. And we see that evidence by what comes out of her, don't we? So even though she was, uh, he was there as a secret with his disciples, It was supposed to be this secret going on uh, so they could rest, but as soon as she heard that Jesus had come, well, she came before him to seek his mercy. Look at how she recognises him. Lord is what she says. And look at how she humbles herself, kneeling before him and begs him to cleanse her daughter. And hear the humility of her heart as she agrees with him. Yes, it's not right to take the children's food and give it to the dogs outside, but the crumbs that fall from the table is their portion. That's all I'm requesting, just the crumbs. She's no selfish thief who thinks that she is more deserving of others. She's not self-righteous. She's not full of prejudice. She's no desire to take from the children of God and leave them with nothing and leave them hungry in her place no she asked not take to take the place of the disciples in Jesus attention and care rather she just humbly recognizes where she fits and is content with whatever crumbs of mercy Jesus will offer her and she spoke respectfully And without malice or slander. Even after he provoked her with that naturally provocative ethnic prejudice. It would normally draw out a malicious, hate-filled response. But did it? No, it didn't. Because unlike the blinkered Pharisees, those self-righteous ones, and unlike the dull disciples, well, this woman is humble. And she is witty. And she is astute. And was he merciful to her? Oh, yes, he was. Look at verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Gone if we want to show people, show anyone the extent of Jesus' mercy and the power of his mercy, all oh, we could do little better than showing them this particular exchange. Some This crossing of an ethnic divide that others would never cross. So great is Jesus' power that he heals her daughter from a distance. The evil spirit leaving at that moment and from a distance so that... And, Recognise his power here. Recognise his mercy. And recognise that humble trust placed in the Lord, well, it brought great reward, didn't it? To she who threw herself upon his mercy. And it wasn't just to her, was it? No, no, it wasn't just to her. His great mercy is shown also here to the disciples. Remember, he took them there for a rest. Well, notice his care here in in not picking them up and moving them along or moving them around. No, he didn't deny them the rest they needed. Didn't even involve them. But also he's taking them there to a place where they could witness real-life examples of clean hearts in unclean settings showing them how to relate and care and how to draw out a faith response from a humble heart and as silent observers of this episode well we actually have no idea what they thought of this you know mark doesn't tell us what they thought but as we read on we'll find as they keep moving through this journey and the episodes in this journey we will start to see that they still well their hearts are still hard set in self-righteousness and in prejudice. The Pharisees' religious teaching, well, it, it, it had sunk deeper in them and more than they probably realised. Those national differences. And their self-righteous prejudice against people in unclean circumstances is going to continue to dominate their thinking. That's what's coming out of them. And no matter how much jesus showed mercy and they got to see it well for now we'll see that they remain unmoved for some time do we struggle with that too do we struggle with that kind of self-righteousness are we set in those kind of ways that we fail to be moved by god's mercy to others who we wouldn't be merciful to are we so set in our self-righteous days uh, are we so fast to judge people by our well our, our human standards that we don't even allow time to see what god is doing in their heart to see what comes out of their heart and are we On top of that, swift to reject Jesus whenever he approaches things in ways that challenge our assumptions and make us uncomfortable? Yes, indeed we are, aren't we? Along with the Pharisees, the crowds, the Greek woman and the disciples, whether we recognise it or not, we're all in need of the mercy of the King. We're all in need of his mercy, his mercy by which not counting their sins against them, we'll see Jesus, we keep reading through Mark's gospel, will calmly and quietly place their sin upon his shoulders and will walk deliberately to the cross to pay the price for that sin on their behalf. Such is the mercy of the King towards those who trust him. And isn't this precisely why we Christians love Jesus so much? Isn't this why we love him? Because we're his followers today. And we're those who continue to pile up our own sin. Pile and pile and pile it up. And we love him, of course, because he shows us mercy too. Not counting our sins against us as we deserve. Not counting them against us. And... And while we rightly wait and long for Jesus' return when all this, all this hard stuff will be done and we're eager for that day when we will have that constant health and, and comfort and peace and all those things will be ours at last. Whilst ever we wait for that day, the fact that it hasn't come yet, interestingly, is the greatest show of his mercy of all. Have you noticed that? Because it's mercy to more than just us who know him already. The longer Jesus delays, it shows mercy to those who don't yet know him. Because remember that God's, God's merciful patience means salvation for all who don't yet know him. For everyone who doesn't yet know. For all who are currently prejudiced against him. For all who look at him from a distance and won't come near yet. Those who read the signs through their blinkered self-righteousness and write Jesus' offers unworthy of their trust. well as we see in this passage, Jesus' merciful patience allows them time to have a second look, to look again. Time to reconsider, time to reassess, time to humbly repent. Time to believe in him and be saved. Oh, the mercy of the king. It's pretty wonderful, isn't it? And because of his powerful mercy working in us who do already know him, by his spirit, well, regardless of our current foolish sets of self-righteous prejudices and whatever Crazy stuff we've got going on. On the final day, we know from the Scriptures that there will be people from every tribe and every language and every nation and every people delighting in him together with all those walls finally broken down. It happens because of his mercy working in and through us. And therefore, these hard-hearted disciples will eventually become those Who will deliver his message and who will thereby save a people who believe the good news of the King Jesus patient powerful mercy applied in the hearts of his people is just that good but does it still happen today is it real can it really still occur? Does his mercy really make a difference? Well, let's check and find out, shall we? And you don't find out that out by looking at the outside. You've got to ask from the inside. So let's ask someone the question. Nick Charlton, would you mind coming back out the front again? Thanks for that magnificent reading. I've got a question for you. Nick, what do you love about Jesus' patient mercy to you?
0: Well, I love Jesus' compassion and kindness to me. And I still blow out to think that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for my sins. And when I stuff up, I can come to him and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done, for the envy, for the slander, for the whatever it be, and I know that I am forgiven. And it might take a while before I realise I have stuffed up, but in his patience and his kindness and his love, he forgives me, and I know that I think of it like a blackboard, like of all my stuff ups and when I say sorry, God, I'm sorry, Jesus, please forgive me. I see it like He just wipes it off, and He says you're clean. And I think that's awesome. And I need to keep being bold and telling people about that because we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to share it with our families and our friends who don't believe and let them know.
1: Because that merciful patience is just too good. To too, hold good. Yeah. too good. Yeah. Too good.
0: And he's compassionate and kindness and he forgives over and over and over and over. And, um, and I truly believe that yeah, when we come to him, he just it's his gift. He gives it to us.
1: Indeed, he does. He's just that good. Yeah. Praise God for Jesus. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Our Father... I thank you for my dear sister, Nick. I thank you for the way you've worked in her heart and in her life and that she knows the merciful patience, this this glorious mercy of our Lord Jesus, our King who's paid the price. Father, thank you that she knows to keep coming back to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you keep picking her up and giving her a new day. I love you, my dear daughter, my sister, and making a new opportunity to just try again another clean day our father we thank you for the merciful patience we thank you for the your your great love for us expressed in jesus and we thank you that that is the best news in all the world not just for us but for all who are in need of that forgiveness oh please help us to live that out to share that great joy that is ours and we thank you for jesus in his presence And for all you've done for us in him. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, there's no other name that we can come to by which we might be saved. Let's celebrate that in song now as our band comes forward. We've got a great king. Let's praise him together.